Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So tonight's, the chapter we're working on is Dependent Origination and Five Clinging Aggregates. Uh, we're going to split that up into two, uh, two classes because there's a lot there. Uh, so tonight's class and my talk is on Dependent Origination. Uh, the Buddha, when he, he describes what he teaches, he says, I teach the origination of stress and the cessation of stress, nothing more. And that's always how he described his Dhamma. So, you know, it's a, that's a clear way of knowing if you're practicing what the Buddha taught or not. If there's, if there's emphasis on other things such as, I don't know, praying to disincarnate beings or having some kind of non-physical experience or whatever else it might be, it's not what the Buddha taught. Um, dependent origination is what the Buddha awakened to. It describes how individual human beings who are rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths create their own stress and suffering in the world. Stress and suffering is inherent in the world, but when we start taking the people and events of the world personally, then we bring that stress within our own experience. So um, this is probably the most um, misunderstood and intentionally misapplied teaching of all the Dhamma, and it is necessary to corrupt dependent origination if you're going to teach a corrupted Dharma, um, when you when you hear what the Buddha taught, there's no room for corruption. But if you really want to see it, just do an in, do a, a Google search or any other search on dependent origination or some of its variants, which are often called um, interdependent co-arising or dependent co-arising. Interdependent and dependent are two different words, aren't they? But they're but the interdependent aspect. Not, it's not even an aspect. The word interdependent is usually substituted for dependent, and the word co-arising is further uh, used to negate the word origination. But that's necessary when you're creating this um, uh, this homogenous dharma where everything relates to everything else, and it's all one thing, which is how most modern teachers, even the, the I won't say his name, even one of the, the heads of the most major Buddhist religion says, that all religions are the same thing, and they all lead to the same place. The Buddha taught something decidedly different than that. Uh, and again, when you it, it, just for your own interest, go do a, a search on dependent origination, uh, and you'll see some pretty wild presentations out there compared to what the Buddha actually taught. So this is what the Buddha taught as dependent origination. This is what he woke up, awoken to. From ignorance as a requisite condition comes fabrication. That's the first line. And it's a very specific type of ignorance. It's ignorance of Four Noble Truths. And in order to keep the Buddha's Dhamma in the right perspective, we have to understand what the Buddha, what the Buddha taught as his Dhamma and how it relates to each other. So when the Buddha is talking about ignorance, it's a very specific ignorance. Ignorance of Four Noble Truths. Excuse me. From ignorance as a requisite condition comes fabrication. Notice the word requisite. Without ignorance of Four Noble Truths, there's no fabrications. And what are we talking, what is a fabrication? A fabrication is a corruption of who we are in relation to the world we're living in. 
And when we don't understand the, the nature, what, what constitutes a human being, we can't help but fabricate an existence. Why? Because we don't have any foundation on which to build that on. So we, we're, we're prone to fabrication. Fabrication is a corruption of reality. From ignorance as a requisite condition, a requisite condition, comes fabrication. From, a, from fabrications, again, as a requisite condition, <coughs> excuse me, comes consciousness. And this is not a cosmic consciousness, a cosmic consciousness with a big C. Uh, it's, it's consciousness, as the Buddha refers to it, as I'm referring to it, is simply ongoing thinking rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths. Follow dependent origination. From ignorance come fabrications. From fabrications comes the formation of a consciousness rooted in those fabrications, supported by ignorance. From consciousness as a requisite condition comes... I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought that's what it said. From, from consciousness as a requisite condition comes name and form. The Pali words for name and form is Nama Rupa, but it simply means I have given a name to this form. It's, it's another way of saying from consciousness rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths comes self-identification or self-reference with what's arising. From consciousness as a requisite condition comes name and form. I've now created a personal experience in life where there's nothing personal in life due to my fabrications. From name and form, from self-reference, as a requisite condition, comes the sixth sense base. So, this is not a creation myth. The Buddha is not teaching us how physical phenomena comes into form. We have to we have to maintain the perspective. We're only what we're talking about is ignorance of four noble truths. When my mind is ignorant of four noble truths and creates fabrications, now when I come in contact with ordinary phenomena, and how does a human being come in contact with ordinary phenomena? through their five physical senses and that sixth sense that we just mentioned, consciousness, ongoing thinking rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths. So now my mind is full of fabrications rooted in ignorance, and I come in contact with phenomena, and I'm interpreting that phenomena through my six senses. But those six senses are governed by that sixth sense of ongoing thinking rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths. So whatever I'm, whatever I'm coming in contact with and interpreting through that fabricated view is itself a fabrication now, or at least my experience of it is fabricated. And if it's fabricated, it's prone to causing confusion, distraction, and ongoing stress and suffering. Does anybody have any questions? So, John. Yes, David. Name and, name and form, is that, is that essentially the aggregates? Yes, it's another, another word for it. Yeah, they, they, and we're going to get to that together uh, on Saturday. But briefly, the five clinging aggregates are is the Buddhist description of the personal experience of suffering, and we'll make that more clear. But David's right. Any any self identification with suffering, and the, the Buddha uses that term often too. We join with our suffering, meaning we identify with the things that create distress in our lives, is an aspect of name and form, nama rupa, identifying with the form. This is me. This is mine. This is what I am. Thanks, David. From, can, you, can I just ask real quick, can you um, elaborate again what fabrication means in this context? A fabrication is a corruption of reality. It's a corruption of who I am in relation to the world I'm living in, the people and events of the world. That's a fabrication. And, and the, so the, a fabrication requires, as it says here, requires ignorance of Four Noble Truths. 
Once knowledge of Four Noble Truths is developed, there is no fra fabrication. That's why they're called Noble Truths, by the way. It's, it, there's no, nothing else about them that makes them noble except they relate directly to the Dhamma. In other words, it, it's true that, that my dog is a golden doodle, but that doesn't do me any good to teach you about my dog being a golden doodle in Dhamma class, does it? Because it has no relevance. It's a truth, but it's not a noble truth. The four noble truths is suffering arises, craving for and clinging to root ignorance, for fabrication, gives rise and maintains stress and suffering. The third noble truth is cessation of stress and suffering, cessation of that process is possible. And the fourth noble truth is the eightfold path is the path leading to the cessation of stress and suffering. Those are the four noble truths. They're the, they're the only truths that we deal with in Dhamma practice. So another great question. Now, from that sixth sense base, as a requisite condition, coming in contact with a sixth sense base rooted in ignorance and fabrication, as a requisite condition comes contact. It's one of the most powerful statements in, in this whole chain of, uh, chain of dependencies. Because what is it saying? That my mind, rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths, creates fabrications that feeds my consciousness, my ongoing thinking, that now is interpreting what, I, what I'm coming in contact with, my six senses, is the contact. It, the defining aspect of contact now, in my life, can only continue further ignorance. Why? Because my view is a wrong view rooted in ignorance. Is that clear to everyone? Because this is important. So now everything I come in contact with, no matter how wonderful it might be or how awful it might be, can only feed the fabrication until I find a way to reframe the way that I'm thinking about things and acting about things. That's called going from recognizing a wrong view and developing right view, going right back to the beginning of the Eightfold Path. From contact, as a, a contact rooted in ignorance and fabrication, as a requisite condition, comes feeling. So now I come in contact with the world, it creates a feeling in me, but that feeling is rooted in a fabrication. But now that I've had the feeling and I've identified with the feeling, it's mine. And I own the feeling and the feeling now owns me. Unless I can find some way of escaping from the self-reference. From that feeling, as a requisite condition, comes craving. So now something uh, wonderful has happened or that I deem wonderful. I got a good piece of chocolate cake. I can't wait to have another piece of chocolate cake. But there's two aspects of craving. Craving for something not to happen or not to happen in our life is also craving, isn't it? So it's, it's both sides of the same coin of desire. We want more than we have or we don't want anything that we do have. The Buddha describes suffering this way, dukkha this way. Not getting what it desired is suffering. Getting what is undesired is suffering. In short, the five clinging aggregates are suffering. Again, we're going to get deeper into that. From craving as a requisite condition comes clinging and maintaining. Once I've established that I need something or need to not have something, I cling to that and I maintain that through clinging. I maintain that view. And when I'm, when I'm holding on to it, one view, there's no room for another view, is there? It, it gets very, uh, the Buddha used the term, it, it gets very constricting in a, in a mind like that, that has made these self-referential, self-centered choices. I need this to be happy. I need to avoid this to, to stay safe and happy. That's, that's putting condition on our lives. It's putting condition on our minds. From clinging and maintaining as a requisite condition comes becoming.
and there's no qualification there, which is which has given many people the license to say, see, dependent origination is a is a creation myth. What the Buddhists saying in context, remember how we began, from ignorance as a requisite condition comes becoming what? Becoming further ignorant. That's the meaning here. From becoming further ignorant as a requisite condition comes birth. And again, this is where people misinterpret it, interpret this saying it's a creation myth. What's the Buddha talking about? Giving birth to another moment rooted in ignorance. This is how he began, from ignorance as a requisite condition. And now we've taken that all the way from that initial ignorance of Four Noble Truths to now giving birth in my life to a moment rooted in ignorance. That's what the Buddha, That's the Buddha's most important teaching on birth. It has nothing to do with rebirth or anything else. And it relates directly to karma that we'll get to in next week, I believe it is, or two weeks, two classes. From birth as a requisite condition comes aging, sickness, death, sorrow, lamentation, or regret, pain, distress, and despair. The whole mass of suffering. So rooted in ignorance, through those 12 observable causative links, we finally give birth to another moment rooted in ignorance. And this whole process, this whole 12-link chain of dependencies, you could say takes, takes place outside of time because it happens so quickly that we most humans don't notice the process. And we're not meant to, to dive deep into this process. It's, it's enough that we recognize it as we're developing the Dhamma. But what is important is to recognize that my mind in this moment, rooted in ignorance, can only give birth to another moment rooted in ignorance unless something comes along to interrupt that. And that's jhana meditation. I had a little talk with, um, with Rick earlier about jhana meditation. Jhana, the act of jhana meditation, when we find that we're caught up in our thoughts and our feelings again, excuse me, and the instructions say come back to our breathing, in that moment, when we come back to our breathing, we're interrupting the process of dependent origination. We're interrupting it directly. We're interrupting it skillfully. We're interrupting it powerfully. Each and every time we do that, we're interrupting this process of dependent origination, of ignorance, giving birth to another moment rooted in ignorance. Another way of saying that is practicing wise restraint that we talk a lot about, and I'll talk more about that in future classes. So then the Buddha describes in slightly more detail and in slightly reverse order each of the 12 links. What is aging and death? Aging is decrepitude, brokenness, graying, decline, weakening of the faculties. So the Buddha is not saying that dependent origination is responsible, but our reaction to sickness, aging, and death is rooted in dependent origination and not understanding who and, who and what we truly are. Every human being, if we're, if we're fortunate enough to have a human life, is prone to sickness, aging, and death, graying, the brokenness, etc. When we start taking that personally is when we get in trouble, when we lose our minds. Just understanding the process as a normal human process that's not just happening to me is depersonalizing the process. It's living that, that aspect of human life as a human being is intended to live. Death is the passing away of the aggregates, the ending of time. That's an important thing. The Buddha here is not teaching that we get another chance. This is the end of time. Another way of saying that is this is the time to awaken. Not the next life, not in a, in a, in a non-physical life. Now is the only time we have to awaken. Let me start that again. Death is the passing away of the aggregates, the ending of time, the interruption of the life faculties. And so what is birth? Birth is the descent, the coming forth, 
the coming to be. Birth is the appearance of the sixth sense base. Remember dependent origination. The appearance of the sixth sense base rooted in ignorance and the, and the coming to be of the five clinging aggregates, as David brought up earlier. And so what is becoming? Becoming is sensual becoming, form becoming, and formless becoming. That last, becoming form and becoming formless, relates to both self-identifying with the physical form as me and buying into fabricated dharmas that, that would establish ourselves in non-physical, speculative uh, planes of existence, the formless. And again, this is something that's wildly misinterpreted in modern Buddhism. And what is clinging and maintaining? Well, there are four types of, these are the Buddha's words, four types of clinging. Clinging to sen sensual stimulus, <clears throat> clinging to views or conditioned thinking, clinging to precepts and practices and all the other rituals that take us nowhere. Again, the Buddha always taught, throw all that stuff out. That's not part of Dharma practice. The bowing and the chanting and the jumping up and down and all the rest of it. Rites and rituals are not part of Dharma practice, according to the Buddha and according to your teacher. And clinging to a doctrine of self. Again, one of the most powerful lines. What are doctrines of self? Doctrines of self are speculating on what I might be if I do everything right. Like if I chant long enough or bow long enough or stand on my head long enough or meditate long enough. If I meditate for 14 hours a day for 36 years, that all these things are, are something that Buddha taught. Or trying to establish myself in some non-physical realm through merit. That's what the Buddha is referring to about clinging to a doctrine of self. The Buddha's Dhamma cling, clings to a doctrine of what is a self not clinging to a fabricated self. It explains what a self is. And what is craving? There are six classes of craving. Craving for forms, craving for sounds, craving for smells, craving for taste, craving for physical sensations, and craving for ideas. Notice how that craving relates to each one of the senses. In other teachings, the Buddha relates each one of the senses as having their own type of consciousness meaning the, there's an eye consciousness, an ear consciousness, a nose consciousness, and those consciousnesses are interpreting what we're coming in contact with through what the, the, that particular sense through its own fabricated consciousness. And that last craving for ideas, I think, is the most um, pernicious and difficult to establish, especially someone who is very proud of their own intellectuality. Um, the, and really, the more proud you are of your own intellectuality, the more you tend to cling to every thought that you have. Why? Because you thought it. And the more weight you put on your own fabricated thinking, the harder it is to let go of it. But craving for and clinging to ideas is the ultimate um, thing to recognize and abandon. Because really, everything is an idea when, we come, when it comes down to it. The idea... That I need to have a whole piece, a whole chocolate cake rather than one piece, is it is an idea, isn't it? It's a fabricated idea. And what is feeling? Feeling has six classes as well. Uh, and again, feeling related to the sixth sense base, uh, and contact has the same thing. So I'm going to stop there um, because you've all read it, and I think that's far enough for tonight. Um, so I hope I presented this in a, in a clear and straightforward way. It's something that people get hung up on a lot. Um, but I think it, it's not because it's difficult to understand. It's just that the, um, the verbiage is quite different and everything in here contradicts what we think we are. And anytime we come in contact with a teaching that contradicts what I think I am, there's going to be a lot of internal resistance 
that manifests as saying, well, this is nonsense or I, I just can't understand it. When we take our time and use what the tools that we've already been given, given jhana meditation for one, this is a very easily understood um, teaching. And then we can carry this through to the other teachings. Remember that everything the Buddha taught was taught in relation to dependent origination and four noble truths that we studied uh, in week three. So that's my talk for tonight. Um, let's go around the room uh, and uh, hear what you have to say. And uh, we'll start with Kevin. Kevin, how are you tonight? Doing well, John. Nice to see you. Good nice to see you. Everybody. Thank you for the talk. Um, I did like when, um, or I wanted to ask a question about doctrines of self circling back to the question about fabrications. Mm -hmm. um, is, is that accurate to say that doctrines of self, you know, are fabrications? Yes. Uh, just to circle it back to, to the beginning there. I thought that was, that was nice. Yeah. Thank you. So, I mean, the, 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 you, you see that dependent origination or the 12 links all kind of relate to each other and they all relate to, to what we do as Dhamma practice. They all relate uh, to um, the, uh, um, the, the virtuous aspects too, don't they? Because it's in our speech, action, and livelihood that we'll see dependent origination playing out. You know? Yes, and you mentioned that being gentle with ourselves. That's very key. And we find that on ever-deepening levels as we continue with our practice. We've got to just continue to be gentle with ourselves from the beginning and all throughout. So. Yeah. Thank you, Teacher Kevin, for bringing that out. You hear me say this often, and now you hear... The other teachers saying it. It's a key to the Dhamma, but it's also a key to life is to be gentle with ourselves. Imagine if, if more people really understood what it means to be gentle with ourselves. How what, what it, And again, I'm not talking about people that Dhamma or Dhamma practitioners, people that actually practice gentleness with themselves because then they're gentle with others. The whole world would be different. But that's what the Buddhists thought, you know, taught too. Is, is this, this um, you know, maybe I can use the word radical gentleness because that's what it takes uh, in life and in the Dhamma. So. Meg, it's so good to see you, but what are you doing up in the middle of the night? Hey, <laughs> sorry, it's not the middle of the night, it's two in the afternoon. Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so I just was late getting started. So. Well, I'm glad you made it. Um, sorry, my, my, um, I wasn't, my internet connection wasn't working, so I like missed a whole bunch of what you just said, so I don't uh -huh. know if I can even respond. <laughs> It, it, it'll be on the website. Okay. So, well, how's your, how's your practice going? Um, well, yeah, I've had a, a little difficult time this week um, just sitting down and meditating just because I've had a lot of other things going on. But I noticed the difference, and I know that I, you know, want to get back to it and stuff. And, you know, and I do, you know, so I just try not to be hard on myself Good. that way. But, but, you know, as far as this... Um, this dependent origination, I, I really feel like um, this really makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and I was taught a lot of really, you know, the typical stuff, you know, that all of this is a practice for the next life, you know, kind yeah. of a thing, you know. And so you're constantly, uh, I feel like I was constantly... Um, thinking about that all the time, you know, and everything was around, you know, um, earning merit, Yeah. you know, because, you know, you, if something bad is happened to happening to you now or something you don't like, 
it probably has to do with something not that you did it earlier in this life it's something you did in a previous life that you can't possibly know what it was you know yeah it, <laughs> and it's just sort of crazy making right it sure is you're constantly you know concerned with all that and and it it started really bothering me because i felt like it was um just hard for me to understand, you know, and I just wanted to focus on well, what do I need to do to become enlightened? So, yeah. so I love the way you teach this. It's really great. And I know that's what Buddha taught. So that's, you know, I'm just trying to follow that. Yeah. That well, it, yeah. Thank you, Megan. All, all of that stuff is crazy because it does. What does it do for me now? And when we start think when we buy into it, you know, I, I can't really, it, it's not helpful to blame other people, even other teachers for teaching something that is fabricated itself, because I'm the one that practice it. I'm the one that ultimately I'm responsible for who I listen to and what I follow. And for many years, I was, I was engaging practices that were taking me out of my body and out of my life with a, with a promise that if I do this and that in the next life, I'll get a reward. And it always drove me a little nuts. I, I want to learn how to live. How do I live here? And that's what the Buddha wanted. And that's what he taught. It's how to have the, the most meaningful human life possible, no matter what the circumstances of that life is. And it really works. That's the, that's the best part of this. So I'm glad you joined us today, Meg. Thank you. Julia, how are you tonight? Hello, John. Um, I'm good. Um, I'm a... Uh... <laughs> Disorganized. No, kidding. <laughs> I, I, um, I wrote a little something to uh to read, if that's okay. Absolutely. Okay. Um, let me get my little my page here. All right. I kind of like uh, somehow like like link the, the cleaning aggregates to um naturally phenomena and dependent origination, and um so of course the the five clinging aggregate aggregates are the physical and mental factors that form an ego self form is of course the physical nature and the feelings perceptions fabrications, and consciousness are mental factors and ignorance is established in the consciousness of these factors yeah. so um through consciousness rooted in ignorance can o- can only continue the feedback loop independent origination mm. furthering becoming ignorant the feedback loop is described in the, in the Nagara Sutta. So that, that loop of dependent origination uh, where the consciousness looks upon itself and names and labels things as itself yep. is, is that point right there that I'm, that I'm taught, that I'm talking about yep. in, uh, in the aggregates. So I, this is like really the first time that I actually really saw how the aggregates kind of like fit into the dependent origination. And I think this, this came about to me when, um, when we read the Mula Sutta. Yeah. We started. We started talking about uh, how you know the, what phenomena really is and how it interacts with our uh, our conscious mind. Um, so I put down through 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 this deluded mind, phenomena is identified and perceived as self through clinging and craving. Um, in the Mula Sutta, it defines that this interaction of consciousness and phenomena. Mm. Phenomena is such a personal thing, as it is what the individual's mind notices. So each person has their own things that they notice. We could all be sitting in the same room, but each one of us will notice different things yeah. that we actually that we actually connect to. And some things are, are 
desired and some things are, you know, tossed aside, averted. And so each of us is creating a, 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 our own separate worlds in, in, our, in our own deluded minds. Um, each mind creates in this manner an individual world based on self and looks to persistently establish itself and every object, event, or view that occurs at point of contact. At point of contact, consciousness comes into contact with the phenomena and then looks upon itself and labels it or names it as part of it, its form, and continues the process of dependent origination. Um, dependent origination directly explains the 12 causative links that determine the experience of phenomena of a self-referential ego personality. Um, this is living life through the five clinging aggregates due to wrong view of impermanence and emptiness. Um, so through jhana meditation, we condition our mind and our mind to be present and to witness itself through wise restraint at point of contact. Of course, by doing this with um, conditioning our mind at point of contact, we release, we can be released and unbinding becomes possible by understanding three marks of existence and emptiness. And finally, I have that in right view, we understand emptiness, that there is nothing in this world that can substantiate a permanent self. And so that's my whole connection of <laughs> the, the whole chapter. I, you know, I read the whole thing. I tried to connect it together in that manner. That's uh, beautiful, Julia. We're going to get into the, the five clinging aggregates on Saturday's class as well, too. And I didn't touch too much on it, but that was really excellent. I just want to welcome Dylan. Well, Dylan, welcome. Hi. Was class at seven thirty or eight? Uh seven fifteen. Oh man, I I get my times messed up. I'm sorry, but that, that's okay. I'm glad you joined us, and I, I I'll be posting this class uh well by by tomorrow morning if you want to catch up with it. But just, just hang out and listen to us. You know, I'm glad you okay, joined us. Good. Yeah. yeah, Michael, how are you? Oh, hi, John. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm just gonna just speak quickly. So as to not be self-referential. <laughs> uh, anyhow, so um, I uh, like uh, when I my understanding of dependent origination uh, comes from uh, again like the, the all important feedback loop between the uh, third and fourth links of of dependent origination uh, and where self-reference is established. Okay, self-reference is anatta, the not-self, okay? So I see that is any time I'm being self-referential, that, or if my quality of mind is, is not in the right place, or I feel that it's poor, it's because of self-reference. Yeah. So that is where in my uh, my view of this, uh, right view or wrong view is actually uh, created in that moment of uh, recognizing that self-reference. If we go self-reference, then we're gonna we're going to uh, continue using craving as the moisture for the seat of consciousness. Yep. And so it all ties together, but that's the way I kind of understand things in relation to uh, dependence origination and obviously uh, recognizing what the not-self is, 
in all that we do say and think. Uh, that'll give us a uh, that'll give us a, a a place wherein we can uh, begin to uh, on our journey to the cessation of stress and suffering. Yeah. Beautifully said, Michael. As usual, Paul, how are you tonight? Good. Um, yeah, I'm glad to be here. Um, yeah, dependent origination. Um, I listened a couple of weeks ago to your talk on that during your Vipassana structured study. Mm -hmm. And uh, so again tonight I hear it, and um, it, it's become very clear to me. You expressed it so clearly. Um, you know, um, in my own personal experience, I've been I've been meditating uh, daily twice for the last couple of weeks now. Using and, uh, the jhana meditations on the website. Exactly. Great. And uh, um, I've noticed the quality of the meditation has um, improved over the last just the last few days, uh -huh. um, and the tranquility. That I, I've been feeling lately is kind of, uh, I don't know, strange. <laughs> but, um, um, you know, in the dependent origination, I noticed that um, because I, I, I've noticed feelings come up generally when um, in interactions with somebody, I, I'll have a feeling come up within the last couple of days, and um, I instantly catch it now. Mm. And tell myself that's not me. That's not mine. That, that's outstanding, and, Paul. That's the essence of Dharma practice. And so I, I, I just focus on my breath for several seconds and let it go. Um, yes, um, it, it certainly is making an impact on me, and I really enjoy listening to all of your your, mm -hmm. your talks. Um, so thank you. Yeah, thank you, Paul. And an important aspect of Dhamma practice is recognizing uh, the, the skillful improvements in your life. So you're, I would say you're practicing exactly as intended. So good for you, and I'm glad you joined us tonight. Rick, good to see you again. Long time no see, John. Yeah. Good to be here. Hi, everybody. Um, yeah, I discovered John's book just a few weeks ago. Uh, John's whole website and so I'm actually on week I just finished week four and I'm starting I want to be starting five uh, so I'm at the part of the eightfold path the first part where we were talking about uh, understanding and intention and um, what I've noticed is I'm, I've been doing at minimum of 10 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes in the evening Good. and um and uh, I do notice, and, and as I was sharing with you, John, I, there were some resentments coming up this year's, this week. So there's been a lot of additional thoughts and, and emotional charge and stuff like that. But uh, I'm getting better because of my understanding that sometimes I get lost in my thoughts and I really enjoy being there. But it's like an addiction and I know that that causes more suffering, right? So the understanding of that and, and, and um, uh, I've noticed like the last couple times, even tonight while I was meditating with you, that 
I'm starting to go into a fantasy of some sort. And even though it may have given me some pleasure, I realize it's not very peaceful here. Yeah. And do, do I want peace? And that would remind me, oh, yeah, that's right. So my intention is to keep coming back to the breath. And at one point, I was starting to get a little frustrated. And I thought, you know, this is okay. Just catch yourself going back to the breath. And so I'm feeling like um, there's a little bit more confidence with that and being okay with it. You know, you yeah. somebody was mentioning gentleness earlier. So that's where I'm at with that. Um, as I was saying, I, I do have other things that are going on in my schedule. But I would like to join you guys on a fairly regular basis, though it won't be every single class. And um, right. I guess I'll just leave it at that. So thank you very much. Thank you, Rick. Welcome to our online saga. It's so nice to have you, and I'll, I'll be speaking with you soon. Greg, how are you? Hello, Greg. Hey. There you are. Well, as always, uh, you took what could be a very complex uh, issue and put it in the proper context. Um, as you know, I tried to take dependent origination um, in the context of Nagarjuna, Sangha, Vasubandhu, and um, it gets very, uh, very divorced from its original intention. And yeah. uh, so thank you again for clarifying and recontextualizing uh, that's not the right word but you know what i mean i do <laughs> good to see everyone i've been following along um going back into the into the recordings um so i was with you guys in spirit on the through the retreat the digital retreat um and love hearing all the new teachers yeah. and uh everything going on so it's really great watching the song grow and uh even if you don't see me i'm, I'm there in spirit because i'm listening along we prefer to see you What's that? We prefer to see you. Yeah, well, I'm, a, I'm at work, so I don't know how, how long I can get away with this for. But. <laughs> Whenever you can, Greg. It's, it's always, always a pleasure to have you join us. <laughs> see you soon, John. Please tell Michelle I said hello. Will do. Take care. Rom, how you doing? I'm doing good. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm starting to actually like going through the dependent you know, you know, I've had my, my times with it, um, but it, it is actually a great tool to uh, to see that uh, that arising of that um, that self in action when it's happening, and and um, it's just so helpful to to you know pick uh, two or three of these of these links and and really get into that mm. um, how consciousness and, and name and form and the sixth sense base are are related how um and and as as david said is you know name and form being the five clinging arguments there is your that, that false self yeah and, and it it just sits between um that ongoing thinking and our senses and it bounces back and forth yep. and when you can see that in action that is just that's terrific you, yeah. you, you can really see that self being built up and and maintained yeah you can see the fabrication yeah, the fabrication yep. is just ongoing yep. and, uh, 
but to see that in real life, like in, in, in stop motion, uh, that's that's wonderful. And it's yeah. uh, there's no better thing for your practice than, than that because it gives you a real uh, a practical foundation for, for why you're doing this. You know, what, yeah. What's what's the mechanism here? And when you see that, it that encourages itself encourages your practice. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can do the same thing with, with this this um, system of contact and feeling and craving. Mm -hmm. you know, how your feelings are 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 coming off uh, stuff incoming from from your senses. You know, they just generate feelings, and that immediately then sets off a little round of, of clinging and craving. Yeah. Um, but when you and, see it in this context, you're seeing the 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 fleeting nature of feelings. And, and so you'll naturally stop putting so much weight on, on feelings. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, yeah but it's, you know, it, it, it's a, a wonderful, it, it's almost like a study guide for, for, <laughs> yeah. for daily life. Like how, how did we get to this point where we're, we're spending so much time in, in discontent uh, and we're finally finding this path here and we're now getting a, a, a little roadmap. Uh, this is how it works, folks. It just goes from, from one step to another. Yeah. And you can fall, you know, just like it said in, in the movies, you know, fall into the bouncing ball uh, as, you, as you sing along. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's a great thing to, to keep, keep in mind. Um, it's not so To be mindful of. Yeah, the grand overview, but it's the, the, the ability to see that that, um, that making of the self right right here, right in front of you. Yeah. That's all I have. Thank you, Ram. Brilliant as always. David, how are you tonight? Hello, John. After wrestling with trying to intellectualize dependent origination, I, I started overlaying all of our teachings and talks over dependent origination. Hmm. You, start, you start understanding what the Buddha is saying. When you understand that wisdom replaces ignorance, those aggregates aren't clinging in the first spot of name and form they're just aggregates yep with that ordinary aspects of human life just normal and then you understand what he's saying that what is seen is just seen because there's ignorance has been replaced by wisdom and then you understand how name and form can roll back into consciousness yep. and the aggregates aren't clean. Therefore there can't be suffering at the end. So that's right. Ram's point about a study guide. I really do overlay everything I read over it and try to understand. And then it's not so confusing because it is very clear. It's, it's daunting at first, but just part of our practice. So yeah. thank you. Uh, thank you, David. Steve, how are you tonight? Good to see you. 
Thank you, John. Doing good. Good to see you too. And uh, dependent origination, it's a description of cost of Duca. Yeah. And uh, you're starting attached to five uh, aggregates and you create ourselves and it's create suffering. And it's very useless. And it's also like uh, you fall asleep, you have a dream. <laughs> And you wake up and you still believe in this dream. You even starting to analyze this dream, what this means, and it's for good, for bad. It's exactly the same five aggregates. It's yeah. useless. It's just wasting time and create only Duca. It's That's right. Yeah, and it's kind of like, it's exactly fabrication. It's nothing else. It's fabrication. And you still attach very deeply to this fabrication and still believe in this fabrication. Yeah. So I guess it's uh, practice. Well, it is, but yeah, it's it, it's it's brilliant of you to see that we're. This is what you're doing to yourself. It's what I do to myself. We all we all self inflict our own pain. It's we like to think that it's worldly conditions or other people or situations, or you know if if my spouse would be different this way then I'd be. It's all us. We're the ones that create the distress in our lives. Nobody else and nothing else. And that's where all the power lies. That's where liberation rises. Because if I do it to myself, I can stop. And, I, and it's just that... I don't want to make it sound uh, to be flippant and say that you just do it, but you just do it. But we're, we don't just have to do it and figure it out ourselves because a human being figured it out precisely how to liberate ourselves. And he's still teaching us 2,600 years later. I think it's remarkable. Thank you, Steve. Hello, Jane. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Um, I still remember the first time I heard dependent origination and I was totally, totally lost. <laughs> and every time I hear it, you know, it made more sense. And I, tonight, I mean, it just kind of flowed right along. It was wonderful. Um, David said exactly the way I view this. It's it's wisdom replacing ignorance. Yeah. I mean, what it boils down to for me, and um, what it makes me want to do is to deepen my practice. I mean, starting with jhana meditation and you know following the other factors of the eightfold path. Yeah. I mean, it just inspires me to do more. Yeah, and that, that it again. It's I think I mentioned it to Paul or Rick or both of them that it's so important to recognize the the skillful benefits that Dhamma practice is giving us because it just we self encourage ourselves. It get, we want to keep going. Um, what a, again another marvelous class. We're going to do the second uh, the second half of this chapter on Saturday. Uh, and we also have our Thursday class, which is not in sync with us. I think we're in the the fifth week the fourth week, I don't know, one of the fourth or fifth week on Thursday. Um, and if you can join us on Thursday, that'd be great just to support that uh, burgeoning sangha. Um, I don't think there's any, I'm going to put the, uh, uh, put the information up on our spring retreat because I realize it is coming up rather quick. Our, our spring retreat is April 22nd to the 25th uh, at the Juan Dharma Center in Hudson, New York. Uh, I'll have the information up within a few days and send an announcement out. But uh, if you can join us, uh, there's, there's no substitute for, uh, an, for a, an, a residential retreat. So if you can join us, please do so. Um, 
we'll finish with metta as we always do. Uh, and these, this is the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. So again, just gently close your eyes and become mindful of your breath in your body. In the Buddha's words on metta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing, in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state, let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another, even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, Free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class tonight. Peace. Thank you, John. See you all soon. Good night. Good night. Thanks, John. Good night, everybody. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.